book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. That's page 1028 in your pew Bible. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. All right, Matthew chapter 4. Open your Bibles there. We're in the midst of a study of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew has been introducing to us Jesus Christ, who is the eternal King, and who has come to inaugurate, to declare His eternal kingdom. So we've been introduced to Jesus, and in in Matthew's Gospel up to this point, we've pretty much been in all introduction. As a matter of fact, today, Verses 12 through 16 are the end of the introduction of the Gospel of Matthew. So as we come to Matthew wrapping up kind of that introductory section, we will look at one last component, a key component of Jesus' identity. A lot of what Matthew has been doing in this Gospel, it's the story of Jesus. So what he's been doing is introducing to you and introducing to me who is Jesus. Now we're going to walk into his ministry and then at the end we'll get into his passion, his death, burial, and resurrection and why he is king forever. So we'll look at that and then we'll look at an overview of the ministry at the end of chapter 4 and really jump into it next week when we get into chapter 5. Here's what I want us to do this morning as we come to this text. As you open your heart to the Word of God, open your mind to read it and hear it, and I try to explain some of it to us, I want us this morning to do three things primarily. First, I want us to behold our King. This has been Matthew's purpose from the beginning. Who is Jesus? Hold him before you. And what you and I know, Paul teaches this in Corinthians. If we will behold him, we will be changed into his likeness. So let's just have this goal today. Let's look at Jesus. Behold our king as a matter of review. And then as we look at this last section, look at a new key component of that. Let's behold who he is. Then I want us to reflect on his ministry. As we look at the overview, Matthew will show us our Savior's ministry. And then we'll get confronted, if you will, with Jesus' mandate. 
So what I want you to go away from here with is beholding your king and knowing what is the mandate of our Savior. He gives a mandate to all of those who will follow him. Make no mistake, church, Matthew is not just writing his gospel to inform you about who Jesus is. He is writing this gospel so that you too could be transformed by the power of the king. He is inviting us into a new kingdom to serve a new king who has come to earth and taken on flesh and has become the authority, the one who has been given all authority by the Father. And Matthew is writing so that you will know him and not just know him, but come under him and follow him. He wants you to follow the same king who will be king forever. And this king has made a way for us to be in that kingdom. So let's look at Jesus together today as we get into this gospel. I want, to, I want to walk you through this text, and I believe there are four major considerations we see Matthew presents as he presents to us Jesus and his ministry. Four major considerations. The first one's found there in verses 12 through 16. 12 through 16, Matthew has been very careful to show us that Jesus' birth His identity, his young childhood, his growing up, the beginning of his ministry here, his temptation, everything, everything about Jesus has fulfilled everything from the Old Testament. Every promise of God is fulfilled in Christ. And so over and over we've seen Matthew say, this Jesus, he moved here, he is this, he was born this, to fulfill the prophecy about the Messiah, about the son of David, about the son of Abraham, about Jesus, the Christ who is to come. And now we have it again. Verse 12, Jesus hears of John's arrest. That is John the Baptist. We'll meet him again in Matthew chapter 11. And so when he heard John was arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now it's important for you and I to know that Galilee is a place of the Gentiles. It's not just Jewish. And so it's significant because it is representing the nations. And leaving Nazareth, He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now, before we move into this prophecy of Isaiah, I want to remind us all that we have found out about Jesus up to this point. Just as a matter of review, who is Jesus? Matthew has already given us a number of names to call him. For example, chapter 1, verse 1, the son of David the son of Abraham. He is Emmanuel. He is Jesus, Yahshua, the Old Testament. uh, Yahweh saves Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah of the Old Testament. He's the beloved son of God. He's a Nazarene. He is called Lord. He's called King of the Jews. He's the shepherd of Israel. There are Old Testament themes that Matthew has shown us. Jesus fulfills these themes. He's not only these names that the Old Testament said would come, he is also fulfilling themes of the Old Testament. He's the new and better Adam. We saw that just last week, that he is the one who has come as the second Adam to not fail, to not fall in the wilderness. He will not fall to temptation, but he is holy. He is the better and new Adam, the second Adam. He is the seed of Abraham, the promise that God had given to Abraham that through you I will send a savior I will send a king and so he is shown as the seed of Abraham he is the promised Messiah the one who will come to deliver his people as Matthew has already presented him in chapter 1 verse 21 he has come to save his people from their sins he is that promised Messiah he is the king that has come to sit on the throne of David forever and ever he is the true and better Moses leading the people out of of uh, uh, out of 
uh, uh, slavery and bondage into a new exodus. He is the true and better Israel. He is the Son of God. He is the one who has come to fulfill all that Israel was meant to fulfill. It is fulfilled in Jesus. Matthew has also shown us he has initiated this new exodus. He is leading us out of bondage, out of slavery, into the glorious light of our God, into a kingdom that will last forever. He has proclaimed an end to the exile. You no longer have to be cast out. You can be brought near to our God. He has been shown to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. He has been affirmed by the Father. He is the true Son of God who could resist the temptation of Satan in the wilderness. Now, at last, in chapter 4, verse 12, Matthew comes to the end of his introduction and he's going to present Jesus as one more thing because he has moved yet again to fulfill Scripture into Galilee so that the prophecy of Isaiah could be fulfilled. We're quoting in verse 15, Isaiah chapter 9. He is the one who has gone to Galilee in a land that the Bible speaks of in Isaiah chapters 8 and 9, a land of darkness. A land of darkness. In Isaiah chapter 8, God warns the people through Isaiah that judgment is coming. The Assyrian Empire is going to be used by God to bring judgment upon Israel because they had turned their backs on God, because they had ignored the prophets of God. And so God tells Isaiah, Isaiah, I want you to not listen to the counsel of the people because they're turning their backs on me and I am going to bring judgment. Those who think they have God do not have God. Isaiah, don't listen to them. I'm going to give you hope. And then in chapter 9, some of you will note some of the verses in chapter 9 you have probably heard before, but this is quoting chapter 9, verse Two, God will bring judgment in those times, in the former times, and it will be a day of darkness. The people will be thrust in darkness. And chapter 9 starts like this. Those who are thrust into darkness have now seen a great light. Don't have gloom because there's a great light that will come. And he says, in the latter times, it will be a glorious way by the sea in Galilee of the nations. Why will it be a glorious time? Matthew's telling us because Jesus withdraws from Nazareth and goes into Galilee. The light of God has dawned there. And so he says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, right out of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This is where, this is where Jesus has moved. The people dwelling in darkness, those who have been thrust into darkness because of God's judgment, they have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. The light of God has come. It is morning and Jesus has come to the Gentiles, to the nations, and the land of Zebulun and Naphtali now have the light of God there. If you read on in Matthew chapter, or excuse me, in Isaiah chapter 9, the text that Matthew is quoting for us, it will come to a verse that you are very familiar with. Why can they have joy? What light is he talking about? What light has dawned? You will note chapter 9, verse 6. You've heard it before. For unto us. Why do we not have gloom? Why do we celebrate? Why do we have joy? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given, and he and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince 
of peace. This is the light that has come. It is the God who has promised to come down to be to his people. For unto us a son is born, um, a child is born, a son is given. Jesus is the child born, the son given. He is fully man, fully God, the light is here in Jesus Christ and his moving to Capernaum by the sea is a sign of the fulfillment of God's promises yet again. Church, this morning I want us to look at Jesus, to behold our King, the one who is promised. He has fulfilled every detail of the promises of God in the Old Testament. Matthew wants you to know, don't look for anyone else. This is he who is promised. He is our King. Worship him. Come to Him. He has declared His kingdom. He has come into a Gentile land, which is good news for us. We are of the nations. It is a land of darkness, the land of judgment. And He brings life and hope and peace and a kingdom that will have no end. Isaiah 9-7. Matthew is pointing us back to Isaiah's prophecy to say, This is the hope of Israel. It is the hope. He is the hope of the nations. So this morning, if you're in darkness, if you don't know our God, if you don't have a relationship with Him, Matthew is saying, God has promised Him hundreds, now thousands of years, foretold the birth of one. This is He. He is King. Come to Him. Behold our King. The man. Second consideration this morning. His message. Look at verse 17. The message of Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Church, this should not come as a surprise to us. We mentioned it back in chapter 3 verse 2. It's the same message that John the Baptist was preaching. It's a message of repentance, turning from something to something. I remind you this morning that you and I must consider what it is to repent. It is turning from self and sin, turning to something, trusting in something other than our sin, other than ourselves, turning to Jesus, and Jesus is coming, preaching, proclaiming this message, repent. It's not an easy gospel. It's not an easy believism. It is a turn You are going the wrong way. You must change what you're doing. It's a call to change. Change for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This morning I remind you that repentance is simply this. To recognize your sin against God. To recognize you're going the wrong way. To recognize that the way that you are living outside of Christ leads to destruction. Not to hope. Not to life. But to death. And so he says repent. Turn from the way you are living. Why? Again, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. How do we know the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Jesus himself is standing there just like he comes in John's ministry. When the king is near, the kingdom is near. Because the kingdom is wrapped up in the king. And so Jesus could have just as easily said, repent because the king is in your presence. The kingdom of heaven is drawn near to you when you see Christ. Church, when you hear this gospel, you and I are called to repentance. And I remind you in John's preaching just in chapter 2 that the repentance is good news for those of us who will actually change, who will actually forsake our way of life to turn after Him, who will actually repent. 
Because it means that salvation has come to us. But there will be those that will hear this and they will not believe the king. They will not turn to the king and so they will not repent. And if there is no repentance, then the king coming near is not good news for you. The king coming near for those of us who will repent, it is good news because there's forgiveness and life and hope in the king. But if you will not repent, the kingdom coming is the worst day of your entire eternity. Because it means that His judgment is upon you. The King has come near and He's invited you to turn. He will come near again and the invitations will be over because the kingdom will come in its fullness. The invitation is open to you. In Jesus' preaching, in the entire New Testament, in our day, the invitation is there. Repent. Turn. Change. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The King has shown up. This week I was playing around with the children and uh, we have a little black lab puppy who I am trying to train somewhat. And uh, when I step out of the way, he is a terror to Lydia, who absolutely loves Silver. And so she wants to play with Silver. She wants to command Silver. She'll come out to him and say, sit. And he doesn't listen a bit to her. So she grabs his collar and tries to make him sit. She tries to train him sometimes like she has seen me try to train him. And uh, he was jumping up on her. She walked out, I think, with some food or something in her hand just to give him a treat this week. And she was jumping up. uh, He was jumping up on her, and it was scaring her. And I just happened to be stepping out of the garage and saw him begin to jump up and go after this food. And he was going after the food no matter what he had to do to Lydia because he's driven by food. He loves it. He lives for food. And so as I saw that happen, I stepped around the corner and I said, Silver! He looked at me and he sat down without me saying anything else. And he didn't move again until she handed him the food and took it. Now, you might say, Pastor, you're exactly right. That's the only kingdom you could ever have is over a dog. But when that dog saw me, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Jesus has shown up on the scene and this is all his kingdom. And he says, repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is here. Church, the reason that Matthew has spent his entire introduction to this gospel to ask you to behold your king is so that you will see the king and immediately know, I need to live in his kingdom or I have no hope. And he says the way that you come in, the entrance into this kingdom is change, is repentance, is turning from the way you're going and starting a new way. So the king has spoken. This is his message. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Turn to him. Come, obey your king. Turn from sin. Fear judgment. Trust Jesus. This is what's wrapped up in this message. Now, let's move. Thirdly, the third consideration, beginning in verse 18, all the way down through verse 22, is the mandate of the king. So we consider the man, behold the king. We've considered his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now let's look at his mandate. While he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, he sees two sets of brothers. 
They're out fishing. Luke's gospel, Mark's gospel tell us a bit more about this. There is a miraculous catch of fish that's involved in this. Jesus says, throw out your nets here. And they come in and there's more fish than they can handle. Jesus has shown even his authority there. Here he comes up to them in Matthew's gospel. In verse 19, he sees Peter and Andrew. He walks up to them. He says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I want you to focus with me on that very phrase, that very command in For these few moments that we have, Jesus' mandate. What is his purpose? What is Jesus doing? As he walks by the sea and says these two simple words, follow me, follow me, come after me. I want you to see his invitation to come to him, to follow him. Notice first that he could have gone to anyone on the shore, but he chose these two sets of brothers. The reason I bring that out is it's the opposite of the norm of Jesus' day. When there was a great teacher, when there was somebody who was doing great things, the common practice of the day was for you to find someone that you wanted to follow and go up to them and say, can I follow you? May I be one of your disciples? Is it possible for me to come up under you and to learn? That was the common practice, the acceptable way of doing this, Jesus, the teacher, doesn't wait for them to come to him. He goes and he pursues them. Aren't you glad, church, just as an aside, not the point of this text, but just as an aside, that Jesus pursues us and says, follow me. Jesus came after you and he gives you the ears to hear the gospel and he invites you to himself, just like he's done these men. He could have gone to anyone, but he turns upside down the common practice of the day, which is what the gospel does over and over and over and over again. And he comes to us and he says, follow me today, just like he pursued them. Some of you are sitting in this place and he's coming to you by the spirit of God in this very place. And he's going to say to you, follow me. And you have a choice to make this day. Will you follow Jesus? Will you surrender all? Will you abandon all to follow after him? That is his invitation. Secondly, I want you to notice that this invitation was a bit vague. Follow me. I would have wanted to know where. Jesus doesn't tell them where. He tells them what? I'm going to make you fishers of men. But he doesn't say, follow me, and in three years you're going to see me die. Follow me, and it's going to be the hardest three years of your life. Follow me, and one day, Andrew, you will be crucified. One day, Peter, you will be crucified. One day, John, you will be uh, uh, exiled. He says simply, follow me. Now, what's significant about that? I think it's significant that he doesn't say where, but I think it's more significant that he says, follow me. You see, the location is not what is important. The one you're following is what is important. Jesus has been presented to us in Matthew's gospel up to this point, and they no doubt heard something about this man. He is the king. He is the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's everything that we've said. What's important about this statement is the me. Who are you following? Jesus, the King, is asking you, will you follow me? Come after me. Church, this morning, I can't look at you and say, if you choose to follow Jesus, your life will be better. Your finances will be great. Your friends will love you and honor you and respect you. I can't say that your life will be a walk in the park. But I can tell you, if you give all and abandon everything for the king, 
you will never regret it. Because he's inviting you to follow the king who will be king forever. That's the invitation. He didn't tell them where, just who. It's an invitation to follow the king and it doesn't matter where because I'm with the king. Caleb and I are reading in the Lord of the Rings right now, the return of the king. And there are two hobbits that are not the focus of the book, but both of them have now been sworn to follow after different kings. And it seems like while they've lost all their friends, they're all by themselves with these two different kings of, of, uh, of Gondor and uh, some other nation I can't remember right now. And they're doing this battle. And they're confident in the midst of battle because they're with the king and they want to stay with the king. Jesus is saying, follow me, it's going to be battle. He's going to the cross. You're not going to be loved by everybody. As a matter of fact, he's going to tell them later, you're going to be hated by everybody. The world hates me, they're going to hate you. You're going to be persecuted because they persecuted me. But you're following the king. Who is what matters? He's worthy of following church. If you walk out of here today and remember one thing from this passage, I want it to be this. Our king, the one that we've seen for weeks now, he is worth everything to follow. Stay close to him. He's worth more than just your lip service to him. To say, oh yeah, I honor Jesus. He's worth losing it all. He's worth your very life. He deserves more than just an hour or two on Sundays. He deserves every moment of your life. He's worthy of more than your admiration, my friend. He's worthy of abandonment of everything else. Will you follow the king? Thirdly, he informed them of his ability to change them. Here's his purpose. Follow me. I'm going to change what you're doing. He uses analogy. Don't you love this about our Savior? He speaks in language that we understand. He says, you've been fishing just like you caught this miraculous catch. Follow me. I'm going to change your profession. I'm going to make you fishers of men. There's a process. I'm going to transform you. And you're going to be like me. And from now on, you're going to fish for men. You're going to bring others into the kingdom of God. This Savior informed them of his ability to change them. Notice he didn't say, follow me and do all these things. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will change you into what you were created to be. Those who would glorify God by spending their lives for the one who is worthy. Will you spend your life for this worthy king to accomplish his mission of making disciples? Jesus' mandate, abandon all, come after me. How about you this morning, my friend? Notice their response as you read on down. Verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Then he goes on and he finds James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and he calls them, verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Church, notice this, their response is immediate. They don't go and say, well, let us, let us debate on it. Let us think about it. Let's get to our retirement, and then we'll give you more time, Jesus. Let me get to this place in my life. Then maybe I can give you a day or two, Jesus. They just immediately, they leave all. And so secondly, not only is it immediate, it is that they left something. For you to follow after Jesus, my friend, you are going to have to leave something. And what Jesus is saying here, what these men are identifying for us, is that he is worth abandoning everything. Be clear with me. 
me. For some of you in this very room, a call to follow Christ is going to cost you everything. For some of you, it may not cost you as much as others. For some of you, you have to surrender things in your life right now in order to follow Christ. For all of us, we must hold our entire life before Him with open hands and say, Lord, it's yours. If you choose to leave it here and leave me as a steward of it, then I will steward it. But it is yours. I abandon everything. And Matthew's gospel is going to make it very clear to us that you must hold it with open hands. It is the King's. You must trust the King. If He is the King that we have been introduced to thus far then you have no fears you can give it all to him and you can hold anything that you own anything that you have any relationship any possession any position you hold it with open hands before him and say i just want to come after you my king it is all yours they left family jobs familiarity they leave their their place of living to go with jesus And it will cost them, not only leaving these things, it will cost them their lives. My friend, it is time in your life to stop this easy believism Christianity that you can just follow Jesus and add Him to everything else in your life. That is not the call of our Savior. It is a call to abandon all to cast it away and say Lord I'm yours from the moment that I open my eyes today my time is yours from the moment that I open my mouth my words are yours from the moment that I begin to think my thoughts are yours from the moment that I open my wallet my money is yours From the moment that I see and get out of my bed and look at my possessions, my possessions are yours. They don't belong to me anymore. You're the king, and I give them to you. And for some of you, he's going to call you to leave some of that and follow after him so that you can be fishers of men. For some of you, he will not. Peter, John, By the end of the Gospels, when you get to the end of John's Gospel, God is going to say, Peter, your end days are going to be rough. Peter says, what about John? Don't worry about John. You follow the king. What about all those people? Don't worry about them. You hold everything out. Give it to our Lord. It's a call to die. And there's a lot of believers A lot of so-called Christians sitting in churches all over this world that are very willing to punch their check, pray their prayer, get their ticket to heaven, and when you die, you will be stark surprised to know that Jesus says, I never knew you. Listen to me, friend. Your eternity is at stake. Listen. The call of our Savior, His mandate, is not just to get a ticket to heaven, to escape hell. The call of our Savior is to love and adore the King so much that you abandon and die of everything else in your life. He may or may not take it from you. That's His call, not yours, not mine. Will you abandon everything for this King? 
Now, let me remind you, he's been presented to us as the king who is king forever. It doesn't matter what you give up on this earth. Forever, you are part of his kingdom. You are with the king. You are sons and daughters of our God. So, they left everything. And then finally, it says they followed him. What did they follow him in? I'm out of time, so let me run this really quickly. Verse 22. Verse 22 begins this new section for us that will go through the end of chapter 9. It's a smaller section in this gospel. We're going to talk about Jesus' ministry, but in verse, I'm sorry, I said 22. Verse 23 is the introduction to Jesus' ministry. I want you to look at it with me because it's almost identical to its bookend, chapter 9, verse 35. So read chapter 4, verse 23, knowing that there are bookends of what we're fixing to look at. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction among the people. This is a summary of Jesus' ministry. Now, he's going to teach. In chapter 5, you're going to come to a part of the text. Chapters 5 through 7, he's going to teach. He's going to preach what you and I know is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to consider that over the next couple of weeks. Beginning in chapter 8, we're going to see him doing miracles and actually healing and doing his ministry. So there's teaching ministry, there's doing healing ministry. And we're going to see those mixed from chapters 5 through 9, and then again in 10 through 16. We're going to see this pattern of Jesus. What's he doing? Look at verse 22. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's preaching the gospel. He's healing every disease and affliction. This is the ministry of our Savior. This is what we follow him to do. Church, I need an entire message right here. We're trying to get through the, the gospel of Matthew in a shorter time, but listen to his threefold ministry that you're following Jesus into. You are meeting people right where they are. You're going to see Jesus come into towns and villages, and you'll see him doing exactly what he does in verse 24. His fame spreads. They bring everybody to him. We're going to have people that are going to hear about our church and hear about what we're doing. Uh, I love that I heard in the community, even this week, from people that are not even a part of our church. Yeah, we've heard of your church. They didn't know I was the pastor. I was just eavesdropping. We've heard of that church, and we've heard that they're a real family-friendly church. I love that the, the community hears about our WANA program, that we care about kids. I love that our community hears these things. I want them to hear about the gospel as they hear their community, the the world around us, they're going to come and say, can you help us? And we must meet them right where they are. He was healing every disease and affliction. We must meet needs of the people around us, not just to meet them though. Jesus is healing because, not because they just need to be healed of their leprosy. Jesus could heal their leprosy and their lameness and it wouldn't take anything for him to do so. He could heal their deafness and their blindness. But if he left them without eternal hope, where would they be? He was healing their afflictions because he wanted to give them a hope that went beyond the afflictions of this world. The king is here and he meets you right where you are in your need. He enters your world, your life, right where you are. Why? So that he can proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That's his message. Now, we have been called to come behind his ministry to follow after him. So the fourth consideration that Matthew gives us is consider his ministry. It's a ministry of healing, meeting people where they are. It's a ministry of teaching where they are in their churches. He's going to teach them the synagogue. And then he is proclaiming in their community the gospel of the kingdom of God. Healing, teaching, and proclaiming. Let me put it in these two words and I close. Jesus has come to display the gospel and to declare the gospel. Church, you and I, as we follow after him, as we abandon everything, our life becomes about that. Displaying the gospel, 
in the way that we love each other, the way that we love the community around us, the way that we conduct our business, the way that we drive, the way that we speak, the way that we uh, act in our world. We display the gospel and we declare the gospel. We use words to speak the kingdom of God is here. Come to our Savior. Come to our King.